we all try to fit in, even when we say we're not or we don't care. If we're being honest, most of us do care. And fitting in, that can look different depending on where you live or who you hang out with. In Ann Arbor, a lot of us feel this pressure to be perfect. I I hold myself to pretty high standards, but like I have a high GPA. I've gotten a B plus in one class, but that was a college level Calc 2 class and I'm fine with that. I'm Maisie Perry. This is Kids These Days, a podcast by teens about teens. On this episode, we're going to do a little soul searching. We're going to look at how this quest to be perfect affects the way we think of ourselves. Let's start with YouTube and high school sophomore Lucy Tobier. The pressure started my freshman year of high school. That's when I discovered a certain corner of the internet. And on the SAT essay, I got 24 out of 24 possible points. The num- these are my numbers, and um, I just happened to get into Princeton. But, um, and the second time I took it, I got a 1520 with a 720 in reading, so it went down. Videos on YouTube of smiling and unstressed students sharing their perfect stats and amazing extracurriculars. It spun me into spirals of panic. I'd lie in bed at night and think, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get into college and my life will be a failure. I'd enter into tailspin so I would furiously Google every possible internship or club that existed in the hopes of finally having enough to be satisfied. I'd set up unrealistic goals and deadlines for myself, turning in a paper a month early or getting above 110% on quiz, and then be sad when I didn't reach them. I struggle with feelings of perfectionism and the mental health issues that come along with that. I often feel stress and anxiety of the feeling of never being able to turn off, never having done enough to take a break, always working. Of course, it probably doesn't help that I live in Ann Arbor, a big college town. My classmates are pretty academically competitive. They compare stats and activities, worrying about their resumes and Ivy League applications. I've grown up in an academic family where academia is often talked about the dinner table. Sometimes it can seem like it's my entire life. At one point, I thought I had the answer, a college consultant. I've worked with over a thousand families over the last decade with helping them select, apply, and get into their best choice college for less than the selective admissions processes. This is a very hot topic, so I do anticipate this to be a full webinar. All my problems would disappear if I could just have someone tell me what I needed to improve, what I could do to get inside those ivy halls. I wanted the one-size-fits-all answer for how to succeed. Whitney Bruce is a college counselor based in Maine. She works with students all around the country. I wanted her to give me the list of things I could do to be the perfect student, so I could check things off. Instead, I got something different. Every person's definition of perfect is different and individual. To try to quantify it or to attach a rubric to it doesn't encourage a student to be the best they can be. It encourages a student to be motivated by check boxes rather than by their internal drive to fully embrace who they are. This did not at all align with what I had seen on those YouTube videos. Her answers, while temporarily soothing, did not give me the resolution I wanted. For my own peace of mind, I had to find this perfect student. I figured if I could just find them, I could study them, ask them all of their secrets. How do they manage to do it all without losing it? A spreadsheet? A mega planner? I definitely try and stay organized, make sure that I have 
make deadlines set forward and like being able to adjust if other circumstances come in the way and still managing to do well overall. I think part of it is definitely just like the way you the way you act and the way you present yourself. But then another part of it is like your grades, whether or not you like do well generally on tests, like your extracurriculars, that kind of thing. I do well, I do very well, but like I feel like a perfect student would go beyond on like every assignment, whereas I will admit I cut corners sometimes. I still do well, but like if I don't have to spend two hours writing an essay, I won't. The students I interviewed were not quick to define themselves as perfect, and they are more humble than I expected. They never felt good enough. They couldn't ever reach a stopping point of perfection. They viewed it as a sort of giving up. To define oneself as perfect would be to not improve anymore. That's not what a perfect student's about. This made me feel a little bit disappointed, to be honest. If perfection isn't real or doesn't exist, what do I aim for? The search for like self-improvement is always like important to me. I think that in some ways it becomes a little bit excessive, especially when you're not like sensibly prioritizing what you're trying to improve in. I care about, I think, my teachers' perceptions of me. I think personally that's one of my motivating factors. Like, if I were to do badly on something, I feel like they might think the less of me for it, especially when if they thought I could do better, which in many cases I could. So much of my identity is wrapped up in my grades that if I suddenly wasn't that person, it would just, like, I wouldn't really know what to do with myself, I guess. I really relate to this idea of identity and grades. When everyone's grades were wiped out due to school closures, I have to admit I was a little bit freaked out. My grades tell me that I'm doing A-OK. I think that I need that. I never did find the mythical perfect student. I like things to be neat and tidy, and this ending is definitely not that. But I tried my hardest, and I was exposed to new ideas, and maybe in the end, they'll have to be good enough. After the break, do we really need all these extracurriculars to get into college? When I was in high school, we called it college suck, and it was the stuff you did to suck up to a college, which is so inauthentic. The pressure to get into the perfect school. That's next. You're listening to Kids These Days, a podcast by teens about teens. I'm Maisie Perry. This is Kids These Days, a show about teens what we're thinking about, laughing about, and stressing about. I'm a senior, so I spent pretty much all of the fall stressing about getting into college. (laughs) That's my friend Cami Trico and her parents, screaming, clapping, and quite literally jumping for joy when they found out Cami got into her dream school. But the story Cami wants to tell isn't about that day. It's about every day that leads up to that day. And it's about what people do or don't do to get into the college of their dreams. Here's Cami. I remember the first time I opened the Common App portal. I was sitting with my mom in my basement. We were going over the app together. And there's this section where you can list up to 10 activities, and you get 250 characters to describe each one. 
I said out loud to my mom, it feels so weird that my 12 years of basketball get boiled down to 17 words. She asked me, do you regret any of it? And I said, of course not. I mean, no, I wouldn't have run any slower at practices or skipped any games, but it still feels a bit weird. 12 years, five teams, and hundreds of games. That's what this huge part of my life gets boiled down to, just a couple of sentences. It makes me wonder, what's the college process doing to our sense of self? Does it help us discover things we're interested in, or do we waste our time doing things we don't enjoy, just for the sake of filling in all of those blanks on our college application? When I was in high school, we called it college suck, and it was the stuff you did to suck up to a college, which is so inauthentic. That's Whitney Bruce. She's a college coach. She charges on average $3,500 to help students and their families navigate the college process. She worked with my family when my mom and I were in our 10th hour of editing the same 300-word essay. It feels like the college decision is the end-all be-all. There's so much pressure to get into the right college. For most families, this is a huge financial decision. This is a decision that has ramifications on where a student lives and what kind of job opportunities they pursue and things like that way beyond four years. So we pour everything we've got into this college application. We're talking every club, sport, instrument, dance, or theater group we've been a part of, plus any volunteer work or job we've had in the hopes that we will look well-rounded enough to get into our dream school. There are people like Whitney Bruce who tell us it's okay to only pursue the important things, but it often feels like we should be doing it all, and many of us try to. A study out of UCLA asked students if they felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. In 1985, only 18% said yes. In 2010, it jumped. Nearly a third of students said yes. And last year, in 2019, more than 40% of kids said they felt overwhelmed. Students are getting busier and busier, and they are sacrificing because of it. Well, kids don't have fun anymore. That is Sunia Luther. She studies distress and resilience among teenagers across socioeconomic groups in the U.S. I talked to her to see if this college pressure is something all teens deal with. Kids don't have a childhood. They work at school work, and then even the playtime is really work because you're expected to you know, win those championships and everybody's watching and you're being judged and there's a cost to whether you win or lose. Luther says that teens feel like they're always being judged, like someone's always watching. And I agree. What kind of childhood is that? In Luther's research, she often talks about a phenomenon called I can, therefore I must. If you have the opportunity to do one extra, oh, I don't know, honors course or extracurricular activity or Uh, something else to make your resumes look a little more impressive than they already are, then you must. In other words, there really isn't an option to turn away from that and say, nope, I think I'm tired. I think I've had enough. I'm not going to do this. I know Ann Arbor isn't like all cities. It's a big university town, so there is an obvious stress on education, and not to mention it's a pretty wealthy city. This stress to be perfect and get into the best college feels really real. I knew it was a privilege to worry about what college I was going to go to, to get help from a college coach, and even to take my standardized tests more than once. But it wasn't until I talked to Luther that I realized class is a big factor in terms of how much students feel this pressure to succeed. What people are finding is a sort of U-shaped curve 
so the highest levels of distress or trouble tend to be at the lowest levels of socioeconomic status and the highest levels. There is a sort of implicit belief, I think, among students and parents and families and everybody is getting into college somehow is what's going to make or break your life. It's so not true. My high school counselor, Amy McLaughlin, sees how this plays out every day at school. A lot of the kids in my school have parents who are doctors, lawyers, and professors. But before she came here, she worked at a school in Ohio with a very different mix of kids. We didn't have these conversations about my kid will go to Columbia or my kid will go to this top tier school. It's just the way it is. So I think where we are in the bubble of Ann Arbor, which is probably true for most college towns, I think the level of education, I think we have been told that the system is you get into a good school, you have this network of people, and then they're going to help you be successful because of who you know, which is life is about who you know. And so I think parents want to set that up for their kids. Amy wouldn't tell me how many, but she said there's been quite a few students who have cried in her office over this. Nobody feels good. It doesn't seem like anybody feels good about this process. But still, if you want to go to college, you need to apply. Amy looks at it this way. She says, tell it like a story. Tell your narrative the best way you can so colleges can see the best version of yourself. I think I would consider myself a successful counselor if I could get students to question more about why you're doing what you're doing and and how that narrative fits you. Of course, finding that narrative can be stressful too. Having it be judged, then worrying if it was good enough or if it was truly authentic. But the truth is, no matter what happens, you either get in or you don't. And there's all that stuff that's going to come with it. Am I good enough? Will I make friends? What about a job? And that's all going to be equally as stressful, if not more. But that's in the future. That's not now. Now, we celebrate. Awesome. Kami <laughs> <laughs> found out she got into the school of her dreams back in December. But the world looks a lot different now. The pandemic has forced schools to rethink what the fall's going to look like. It's likely Cami's school will mostly be online in the fall. She missed the deadline to get a deferral for a year, but tried anyway. Her school said no. So she's headed to campus in the fall, whether classes are remote or not. And while it's not exactly what she pictured her freshman year to look like, she's still excited for what's to come. On the final episode of Kids These Days. Messing up isn't that big of a deal, but it'll take a lot of time to go back and fix whatever you messed up on. So if you just pay attention the first time, then you don't have to go back. We end with a little advice. See you then. Kids These Days is a collaboration between Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio. Produced by Rachel Ishikawa, mixed by Bob Scon. Jennifer Guerra is the executive producer. She also edited the show with help from Sarah Hewlett. And here are the students who worked on this episode. Reporting by Lucy Tobier and Cami Trico. Editing help from Jordan DePadova, Maisie Perry, and Ruby Taylor. Jordan DePadova and Max Steiger created our theme song. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Mia Goldstein created our logo. Special thanks to Michigan Radio's Zoe Clark, Vince Duffy, Jody Westrick, Emma Winowicki, Paulette Parker, and Katie Raymond. And special thanks to our teacher, Tracy Anderson. 
I'm Maisie Perry. See you next time. Like what you're hearing on Kids These Days? You can help ensure that the station can keep sharing stories like this with you. Donate $20 today to Michigan Radio. The website is michiganradio.org.